On today's Words to Live By, Neil recalls his plan for helping others secure a place in heaven. My plan was to go back to Seattle to get all my friends. I wanted to say, I've got another message. You gotta stop chewing, drinking, smoking, cussing. You gotta get on the Bible bus and clean up your life. It's not quite the plan God had in mind. A story of God's grace and life transformed, next on Words to Live By. Hi, and welcome to Words to Live By. I'm Barbara Fallis. Each week, we have the privilege of bringing you stories of lives transformed by Jesus Christ. Every story is unique, and as you've just heard, Neil's life took some unusual twists and turns before he came to truly understand the only way to heaven was through accepting the free gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. It doesn't come by being good enough or earning a place in heaven. The New Testament book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 reads, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Here's Neil. My folks were divorced early on when I was five. My mom got remarried. They had two kids, half-brother, half-sister. They're 11 years younger than me. And so it was almost like they had a separate family going on. And so I pretty much did my own thing. I kind of found my identity in sports and goofing off and being the class clown and stuff like that. The only church exposure I had growing up was maybe an Easter occasionally. My aunt sent me to a Christian camp when I was 16. And when I went there, they were water skiing and laughing and having a good time. But from my perspective, I thought, you want me to just say a prayer and then we're going to laugh and water ski? That's what Christianity is about. I didn't see my need for Christ because I didn't really see myself as a sinner at the time. So through high school, I did really well in sports, and the student body asked me to be the class speaker. And I had no idea what I was going to say other than I was just going to recap all the mischief that we had did throughout the school year. You know, I just kind of highlighted a lot of the bad stuff that we did. I got a standing ovation, and I only say that to say this. The girl that got up after me, she was the valedictorian. She spoke about God and doing right, living right, and thinking about your future as far as eternal perspective. And I'm nudging the people next to me thinking, when's she going to be over? She wrote a newspaper article about me that it offended me, but it got my attention. It was in a local newspaper She called me a promoter of sin, encouraging people to live a life that's contrary to the Bible. But I was lost, so I didn't know anything else. I think it made me look at myself in the sense to see myself for who I really was. I was a sinner. I didn't want to admit it. I guess it didn't settle well. I didn't like it. As Neil contemplated life, a spiritual hunger began to grow that he didn't understand or know how to feed. With little sense of direction or purpose— Neil flunked out of community college, got a job, and moved in with a cousin. He was raised in church, and he didn't want anything to do with God. I wasn't raised in church, and I wanted everything to do with God. I just didn't know how to get God. I became like an information junkie. And I was really interested in conspiracy theories at the time. I don't know why, but I became so enamored with the New World Order, this world government. 
I wanted to find out who the Antichrist was. I was so zealous for the end times that I started this radio show called We the Cattle. It was a call-in radio show, and people would call in and ask questions about all these conspiracies I was unraveling and stuff like that. Anything from black helicopters to concentration camps to world constitutions to criminal courts, uh, the mark of the beast, cashless society. It got me so interested. I even would travel all over, you know, interviewing people, studying uh, AIDS. I thought that was a government conspiracy. All along, wasn't saved, but thinking that this gospel message of don't take the mark of the beast was somehow going to make people okay when Jesus returned. Neil told us that while he read all kinds of articles and books about the Bible, he hadn't yet opened up God's Word for himself. He met some Christians at a singles group and realized they possessed something he didn't have. And while he couldn't quite put his finger on what it was, he was definitely interested. But I was so proud that I didn't want to ask them, what must I do to be saved? I actually kind of just wanted to assimilate with them and kind of just climb up some other way rather than going through the door, which is Christ. And so my climbing up some other way was, I'm going to buy this 1955 school bus, big, huge, baby blue bus. I took all the seats out. I put couches in it. I was a ski instructor at one time, so I was going to weld ski racks on the outside. I painted flames on the hood. I put all my anti-government stickers on the back, and there was a rainbow and a mountain scene on the bus. And I was going to call it the Bible ski bus, but I lost my job. And then I said, I got to go out of the country, read the Bible, become a Christian, and then I could know what they have. I went to Costa Rica. I thought I took a Bible. You know, the Bible starts with Genesis 1-1, but when I got down there, the, whatever I took, it was a woman's devotional, and it started with January 1. So I threw it away. And when I came back to the United States, my cousin hawked all my stuff, changed the locks, and said, you can't live here. And I'm like, fine, give me the keys to the bus. But the thing was just such an eyesore. So on my way out of Spokane, a cop pulls me over, and I open the door, you know, can I help you, officer? And he said, I just wanted to see who's the owner of this bus. And I said, I am, sir. It's a Bible bus, except I don't have any Bibles yet. And he said, I just became a Christian three months ago, and I've been doing Bible studies in my local precinct. He said, let me give you an escort because you can't make it out of town without my escort. It couldn't go the speed limit. The thing was shooting black smoke. I even had a rag for an oil cap. You couldn't get parts for this thing. So he gave me a police escort out of Spokane. My plan was to go back to Seattle to get all my friends that I went to high school with, that I spoke, you remember, I was a messenger of sin. I wanted to say, I've got another message. You got to do good. You got to stop chewing, drinking, smoking, cussing, and running with those that are doing type of thing. You got to get on the Bible bus and clean up your life. And I had a list of rules of morals that you had to abide by on the bus. I still don't know Genesis, Noah, Moses. I don't know who they are. I've never even heard of them. All I knew is the Antichrist was coming and the Mark of the Beast is coming, and you need to clean up your life. And the way that you were going to get saved is by avoiding the government and not taking this Mark of the Beast. Well, the Bible bus eventually caught fire and was retired still seeking direction for his life and that special something he sensed in the Christians he had met. 
Neil moved in with an aunt and began attending a Bible study. He finally had a Bible in his hands. His aunt then offered to help Neil attend Bible school, but without Christ, he remained skeptical of others and continued searching for answers. It was almost the same thing as the Christian camp that I went to. I thought, what are you guys here to get married? I'm here to study the Bible. And I learned at that time, Christianity is not an adjective. We got Christian coffee shops, Christian roller skating, uh, Christian this, Christian that, Christian dating, Christian college. And I'm like, where's Christ? God was drawing me to the centrality and the person of Christ. I didn't want Christianity. I wanted Christ. So they're dating and laughing and having a good time. And I was developing into becoming a Pharisee is what I was, because there's nothing wrong with them. The problem was with me. I still wasn't saved. And so I went to the streets of Seattle, and I would just hang out with the homeless, and I would carry a Bible. I still didn't know what must I do to be saved. But in the process, this guy came up to me with this beard and a tunic and really nice, clean-cut hair. And I remember, I'm like, wow, you remind me of a priest from the Levitical priesthood where it says that you're not supposed to trim the edges of your beard. And he said, yeah, exactly. He says, that's what I'm doing. But he says, I'm a Christian. And I said, really? He said, I'd like to encourage you to read the Bible. And I said, what would you like to encourage me to read? And remember, I'm skeptical about everyone. And he says, well, I think you should start in John. And I said, well, let me buy you a coffee. He said, okay, that's fine. And we went to this coffee shop, but he says, you know, you should just sell all that you have, come join our group, and we hitchhike, and we tell others how to become a disciple. Neil remembered an account in the Bible about James and John, who gave up all they had to follow Jesus. Neil believed this religious group were serious followers of Christ as well. Neil was drawn in, hoping to find what he was missing. I walked down to the abandoned house, and there they were. They said, you got to get rid of your driver's license because any pictures are graven images. They sang songs in Hebrew. They sang songs in Greek. They hand-wrote all of their gospel literature that they handed out. But they prayed off of college kids that were spiritually bent but had no discernment or biblical knowledge. I was with them for a while, and I lived with them, and we did all their campaigning and witnessing, trying to recruit others into their little cult. But I had some questions. We were staying up really late, and they are trying to really indoctrinate me into their cultic ways. We're like eating food from the dumpsters and stuff like that. I grow my beard out, and I'm thinking, this is what I'm going to do to be saved. But I said, hey, would you guys baptize me? They said, no, we're not going to baptize you. So I had a friend that I brought into this mess, and I said, you baptize me, and I'll baptize you, and we're going to leave this group. So we each baptized each other. It didn't work. It didn't wash away my sins. I'm still wondering, what must I do to be saved? Without a clear understanding of the gospel, Neil was using bits and pieces of scriptures to try and earn his way to heaven. After leaving the cult, he found a job and began saving up his money for a trip to the Netherlands. He was intrigued about the Christian youth hostels he'd heard of in Amsterdam. These hostels are a nonprofit charitable organization he could stay at and hoped somehow this would finally be the way Neil could make it to heaven. They offer Bible studies, which was my main attraction for going there. Along the walls were Bibles in so many different languages. Because Amsterdam, like London, like Paris, it's, it's a spot for travelers, especially college kids. And so they would come through from all over the world. I worked there full time. I did that for about a year. But the whole time I was teaching the Bible to international people and 
I'm still trying to grind it out for God. I'm trying to earn my way into heaven. And they just kind of seem to be having a good time. And I'm not. I was cumbered about with trying to get Jesus, and they were just resting in Jesus. They were choosing the good part. I'm choosing the bad part. And so I was miserable. I was trying to live a moral life, thinking that morality was going to make me born again, and it just wasn't working. This one lady, she had my number, though. She knew, and I knew she knew, and she would say verses like 1 Corinthians one seventeen, where she says, Neil, the Bible says, Paul said, Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. And she says, if baptism would save you, why wouldn't Paul go out baptizing people rather than preaching the gospel? And she would say things about false humility. and Because I thought, like, the more pious and humble you are, the more righteous it makes you. I had this idea that whatever you were abstaining from made you righteous, But I was trying to get what you could only get by having a relationship with Christ. And I was confused, and I was confusing everyone else around me, too. So the frustration continued for Neil. He would later return to the United States when his grandfather died. And it wasn't long before he temporarily moved in with his father and found himself attending a little Christian church where he heard the gospel presented. I would hang out with the pastor And he would always go out soul winning, is what he called it. And in the process, he thought he was preaching the gospel to whoever's door we were at or whoever we were evangelizing, but actually, he was evangelizing me because I had so much Bible memorized at the time that it almost appeared like I was a Christian, but I wasn't. And I was too proud to admit that I wasn't because I kind of liked the idea that they thought I was because I knew some of the Bible. So... He's preaching Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 over and over, my nemesis verse. I couldn't stand this verse when I was working my way into heaven, because that's what grace does. It either makes you mad or it makes you glad. But grace was insulting all of my performance. Grace was telling me, Neil, there's nothing that you can do. And I'm like, well, wait a second. What about traveling all over the world and doing all these, you know, missions works and abstaining from this and that and practically becoming a monk? And what about all that? And so Grace just comes and says, no, that doesn't count for anything. It's all filthy rags. And so Grace was insulting to me, to be honest with you, when I'm working my way for heaven. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says this, For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And I thought, no, it's too good to be true. That's too easy. It's unique that God has sent me out in this area, this religious area, because they are saying the same thing I was saying when confronted with the gospel of Jesus plus nothing equals everything. It was that nothing part that I stumbled on. I'm like, it can't just be all of Jesus. You've got to do something. What must I do to be saved? And that's the number one question from a lost person. What must I do to be saved? And the answer always comes back, believe, and thou shalt be saved. So you're not saved by good behavior. You're saved based on your belief. It's not trying, it's trusting. And so I came home one night after Bible study, and I knew what I needed to do to be saved. Finally, the answer I was looking for was there all along. It was just 
Romans 10.13, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Jesus says, If anyone comes unto me, I will in no wise cast them out. And so he was given that invitation all the time. Matthew 11, 28 and 29, Come unto me, all you that are labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Learn of me, I'm meek and lowly, and you shall find rest unto your souls. That's what I was looking for. I wanted to enter into the rest. So when I came home from church that night, I knew it. I knew my search was over. And it was almost as if I was seeking after Jesus, but all along, it was the bread of life seeking after me, the hungry. It was the water of life seeking after me, the thirsty. I thought I was seeking after him, but he was drawing me. But he had to bring me to the end of myself, to where when Christ was all that I had, Christ was all that I needed. And he had to show me that all my efforts and all of my striving and struggling, it was not about striving, it was about abiding. He wanted me to enter into that rest, but I could only do that by faith through grace, not what I could do for Jesus, but trusting in what he has done for me. And I was trying to combine the two. God revealed it to me that again, it's Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Before I was trying to hang on to God, but Jesus even says in John chapter 10, I'll give unto them eternal life and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. And so I thought I had to hang on to God, where all along he's just saying, no, let me hang on to you. So it's not me holding on to him, it's him holding on to me. And I had to make that transaction of faith to where I'm placing all of my faith and trust in him and him alone. And it was such a release to finally pass from death to life. And that's when I was born again. I had tears in my eyes and it's because like, I felt like the journey was over, but it just begun. As Neil continued his spiritual journey, he met and began dating Jennifer, and after they married, the couple moved to Utah. But even after committing his life to Christ, Neil still struggled with thinking that there was something more he needed to do to hold on to his relationship with Jesus. As he reached out to others with the love of Christ, Neil began to see the power of grace. I saw my lifestyle of being miserable, trying to get what I already had. I was chasing my tail. I already had it all, but I didn't think so, so I was trying to earn it and work for it. So God used this to show me, Neil, what are you doing? Go back to your first love. As you've therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him. How'd you receive Him? By grace through faith. How do you walk in Him? By grace through faith. I went from trying to trusting, from striving to abiding, from law to love. When I had a conditional view of God and I felt like I couldn't get Him to like me, I would make other people jump through hoops in order for me to like them. If I felt like God was in a bad mood based on my performance, well, then I'm going to treat others that way. If I don't know that God's absolutely, totally forgiven me unconditionally forever and removed my sins as far as the East is from the West, well, I'm going to treat others the way I feel like God's treating me. And so I had this view of God where his arms were crossed, shaking his head no, tapping his foot on the ground. It wasn't the picture of the prodigal's father where his arms are wide open, running to kiss you on the neck. I had this different view of God. And so I'd want Christians to change the way they think about God. Because when they change the way they think, they'll change the way they act. So God deals with me in love, so now I'm treating others in love. God deals with me in grace and compassion and mercy and forgiveness and 
gentleness and kindness, because the fruit of the Spirit's not a what, it's a who. And so when I learned to abide in Christ, the life of Christ was then flowing through me. Our marriage radically changed in the sense that I'm starting to treat my wife in a loving way, because once you realize you could just like love God and lighten up, everything changes from ministry to how I treat my wife to my kids. It's like everything changed. Grace made all the difference. Grace is the free and unmerited favor of God given to sinners. Romans chapter 3, verses 23 and 24 tells us, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. The Bible also tells us in John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Him. We'll hear more from Neil in just a moment. Coming up next time on Words to Live By. We uh, had this little efficiency uh, apartment. A man broke in and brutally raped Kay. All of a sudden, the world doesn't feel safe. Every time it got dark, I was afraid all night. This unspeakable act left Kay and Earl traumatized and enraged. But they discovered God provides healing and can remove the terror that imprisons. I hope you'll join us for the next Words to Live By. Neil understands God's grace and the peace and purpose only a relationship with Jesus Christ can bring. As a pastor, that's the promise he wants his church to understand, and you too. The Bible says you're already accepted in the Beloved. You can't make yourself righteous. He made you righteous. You can't make yourself holy. He made you holy. You can't atone for your sin or pay off a debt that he already paid. It means to walk by faith rather than flesh. It means to stop trying and to start trusting. It means you don't have to be motivated by fear, like God's in a bad mood, and if you don't do X, Y, and Z, he's out to get you. If you don't read your Bible in the morning, God's not going to flatten your tire. I used to think that way. It's a conditional God. Moses was a great leader. He could lead them out, but he couldn't lead them in. He had the faith to be led out, and they were redeemed by the blood of the Lamb, but he didn't have the faith to go in. And going in is that part where Christians are right there in the wilderness right there. They're murmuring, they're complaining, they're saying things about God that aren't true. God, you brought us out here to kill us. Really? I thought God's been providing and he loves you. But God's will is not the wilderness. His will is that you go into the place of grace, the place of rest. There's wells that you didn't dig. There's vineyards you didn't plant. There's houses you didn't build. And so the faith to be let out was me getting saved. But now the faith to be let in is where I'm at now, where I'm abiding in Christ. Everyone's always looking for something to do, and there's nothing you could do. You just have to abide. Abide in Christ and trust that you're not living for Jesus anymore, but change that to live from Jesus. It's not you have to live the Christian life. Recognize that Jesus is the Christian's life. 
They sound the same, but one puts an emphasis on what you do, the other one puts an emphasis on Christ and what he's already done and what he'll continue to do in and through you. Philippians 1.6 says, He that began a good work will be faithful to complete it. But this one, Philippians 2.13, For it is God which works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Galatians 2.20 is huge. It's paramount. I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So it's not you living the Christian life. Jesus is the Christian's life. Heaven's not about a place, it's about a person. Eternal life is not what you get, it's who you get. And Jesus says, I am life, I come to give you life. A saying I always say now is, Jesus gave his life for you, to put his life in you, to live his life through you. It's not me living for Jesus, it's us living from Jesus. That makes all the difference. Thanks, Neil. And we'd also like to thank Key Radio in Provo, Utah, for partnering with us on today's program. The New Testament book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 4 through 9 proclaims, But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. That's Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 9. I'm Barbara Fallis, and those are Words to Live By. Words to Live By is provided by RBC Ministries, publishers of Our Daily Bread.